Size We're getting very close yeah. to. Uh, yeah, I think it helps. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm going to go yeah. downstairs. Okay. Yeah. Is this uh, open? It is why am I uh, I'm saving it for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> why is this out with I'm welcome. Good morning. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Come <laughs> on. Good morning. <laughs> Okay, there we are. That's good. All right. Can you can you see us online? Okay, good. We're we're about a few weeks away from getting this redone as, as, and being on Zoom, but uh, we are this ordered company is come is going to get it, so we'll have a change. So this will be a little bit better than I think. Um, and uh, so we. Living through until then. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, we're doing today Psalm 20 and Psalm 121. Hey, Jack. 20 and 121? Yeah. yeah. It was emailed out. If you didn't get yeah, it, you got it. I, I read it as 20 and 21. I did, too. Me, too. <laughs> I got 121. Uh. <laughs> The, um, they, they're, we've been following the rubric of the appointed song for the coming Sunday, so if you want to cross-check, you can always I'm, do that. I better check up on you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in any event, so we're, 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 we'll start with Psalm 20. Okay. And um, let's, um, let's read through that, and then we'll go back and talk about that. It's Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your birth sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we fall. Or, <clears throat> if that last one, some, some Bibles will have uh, save, uh, save the king and answer us when we call. So mm -hmm. we'll change your translation on those two things. So, what, what is this psalm about? What is what is going on here? 
Um, the, the petition of the psalm is for the Lord to answer someone else, you. <laughs> so who is the you, do we think? Who might the, who might the you be, biblically? The, what important you might there be? Well, King David is, is yeah. part of this. Yeah. yeah, this is the king. So may the Lord answer you. And, and uh, as one uh, commentator pointed out, uh, that the you is a masculine singular you. you so it's a it's a male object the king so may the lord answer you in the day of trouble and that's the idea that that the king is the lord's anointed and so um oh that's great we, we actually just um jack you can put yours there and just here at the right hand of uh Come up higher, Lord, and sit, have, have uh, honor in the presence of all. See, <laughs> just don't get a big So, so that this is a petition from sort of God's people that that that, that He will hear the the, the, the King, uh, and um, answer you and. Um, defend you, and the the name of the God of Jacob, and the sort of power of the name, which is a, a significant thing that developed in Judaism uh, to, to the point where you didn't, you know, you really honored the name of God. It didn't really start quite that way. Um, how do we know that? Well, because people use the name of God in all their names, like Hezekiah and Isaiah, but later on you couldn't even pronounce it in the... But it started before that as the, the chief justice in other languages. I can't think of the language now. I don't think it starts with a D. Before okay. Hebrew. So I didn't follow that point. Okay, well, Elohim is yeah. um, the high justice of the court, and uh, according to... What's the language that came before Hebrew? It starts with a B. Um, the the I'm sorry, I can't think. I I can't. I have word finding difficulty. I just can't think of the name. But ancient. Well, there's there's you no, know, there, that, there's a Babylonian civilization that certainly there predates. Wasn't But anyway, so the name of the God of Jacob defends you, um, which which speaks of the idea of um, invoking the name as as defense, um, which has a, a a great deal of resonance in in the Christian tradition of the name of Jesus, and as like and as Saint Paul will say, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. There's power in the name, and and names and names biblically have a lot of power. Uh, in, in fact, whereas we, you know, someone's born, they've already gone through the name book for half a year. <laughs> Biblically, it seems like baby comes out and they look at it. Oh, you're red. Okay, we'll call you Edom, <laughs> you know, or something. So it, you you had names that were sort of predictive and and uh, yeah. rooted in something. <laughs> May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. So now, if this is the king and the king's in the palace, then the temple is not very far from the palace. So, so that's the idea of the, of the um, help coming out of the temple 
you know, where, where God lives. God is, you know, okay. Um, so, that's kind of a geographic thing. Send you help from the sanctuary, strengthen you out of Zion, um, where, where he lives, and, and bring help to you. Now, to, to then draw this out a little bit, um, The presenting thing seems to be uh, a battle um, against, uh, you know, a presenting enemy. You, you're, you're, um, if you're asking the Lord to defend, protect the king, um, that must mean we're under threat, the king. And we're going to get that later on in the psalm, the idea of the banners, raising the banners, which usually are the standards you ought to battle with. Um, so... Um, so geographically, it is it is answer the king, the, your anointed, who's going to lead us into battle, because in saving him, we'll all be saved. Um, of course, understood uh, Christologically, as we started the psalm study back way back when with the first psalms, um, we could, we could certainly direct this prayer to Christ, especially in his passion. May the Lord hear you uh, in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend you, send you help and strengthen you. And the whole um, resurrection ministry at the end, they have bowed down and fallen, but we rise and stand upright. That, that um, So we want the Father to hear the prayer of the Son. And, 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 and for example, in chapters like John 17, where, where Jesus prays, and um, there's also a, a passage in John 12 where Jesus says, he prays, uh, Father, glorify your name. And the voice comes out and says, I have and will do it. <laughs> so, which means that the Father hears, is hearing him. So it's, it, it, that's the sort of David King battle motif now transferred over to Son of David, Messiah Christ. Being being heard by the Father and delivered through the the battle against the evil one on the cross, that that then results in the victory of the resurrection. So, for us then, how does it, how does that work for us? We've talked about this. This is kind of for you, but how, how do we how do we as as individual Christians relate to Christ? What does the New Testament say? We are washed in the blood. Well, <laughs> biologically, what are we? Yeah, we're human. He's human. We can. He's our our, our brother, I guess. But how how so is this we described? Are the son of God. and kings and priests. Well, what, what is the church? The bride of Christ. The body of Christ. <laughs> so if, Christ, if the church is the body of Christ. And we're asking the Father to hear Christ, okay. then that our own petitions are offered in Christ mm -hmm. because of our biological connection to Him, mm -hmm. and so and so this is why always the Psalms always have that that sort of dual Christological reference. Yes, mm -hmm. the Christ as fulfilling 
all that these psalms point to, but then our prayer participating in that fulfillment by virtue of our baptismal connection to him. And the link is we're in the spirit. We, we, we pray in Christ. And so we, we would want to think then of our own battles participating in that kind of passion narrative. Um, hear us, defend us, bring us safely through the, the, you know, the current wrestling match mm-hmm. so that we can, we can endure faithfully and, and, and then have victory and stand and not fall. So, so they're kind of threefold in the sense that it's, the, it's David yeah. going into battle, it's Christ um, being crucified, and it's us being the body of Christ. Right. I think that's right. That's exactly right. And, and the, you know, the Davidic king uh, battle motif gives us a visual image mm-hmm. of a spiritual right. battle. Yeah. But we won't really understand the Psalms fully unless we get the spiritual battle that's at the heart of it. Um, that that are we and and our and who who are according to our baptismal vows our enemies. The world, the world. The flesh, the devil. <laughs> Those are called in the spiritual language the enemies of the soul. That's the, so. So when we're when we're um, as we talked about this, but but uh, as we're praying the psalms against our enemies, Lord, defeat my enemies. Um, if we just take it to mean this person I don't like very much, <laughs> sometimes I love that you know Psalm one for you of thy goodness slay mine enemies for I am. <laughs> um, but but we're really looking not to be overthrown by the enemy, and then therefore there are certain uh, he has certain I don't know agents that work in our life, or whether they're willfully his agents or not, people provoke us, and so. It's always a matter of of, of maintaining our um, our innocence and faithfulness through the provocation. Bishop, can can I just uh, add something or ask a question? Because when you asked that question, I was thinking of Jesus, you know, um, becoming the Son of God, and in Hebrews where it talks about um, that he. He relates to us when we pray because he knows what it's like to be human and that therefore when we pray we can go boldly into the throne of grace to ask um so so i take comfort in thinking about that that as the son i, I think i think that's that's right i i think that in the, in that passage from hebrews the author is emphasizing his sympathy with our condition um there's just a slightly different emphasis to say that our prayer to the Father participating in his prayer um, just just approaches the same reality from a different perspective, not so much as sympathy, but the fact that our prayer can, that God will hear our prayer because we are in him. So it's just a slightly different emphasis. But then um, to know that his battle that he faithfully endured involved all the kind of things that we have to have to go through, I think, is, is significant for I us. I think he hates hearing aids for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there was a movie that's like, your message will get to Earth in 240 years. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> one, one year with the Lord is a thousand years is one day. So I, I think that, that this has been a central theme to, to we have to, to really live the spiritual life. Faithfully, we have to be able to understand the visible battle as part of a larger battle and not ask just how am I going to get this annoying person out of my way, but how, what is, what, what does faithfulness look like in dealing with this annoying person and how do I not allow this? And that's, um, I think this is what Ephesians means when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers you have, we have to have the wisdom to see how our flesh and blood battle against whatever we're facing participates in this larger battle. Otherwise, we're going to be blind and think it's just about defeating this enemy or overcoming this affliction or disease or, or, or challenge. And that, and once we get that answer, and that's why, again, in our life of prayer, we certainly pray for those kinds of things, but if we lose sight of the, the larger work of God and what God is doing within us as we go through those things and the, the tendencies to, to be discouraged and lose faith, the tendency to all those things, we're going to miss the, what's really going on in the spiritual life. And that's what turns the Christian life into just, okay, give me this, give me this, okay, I got this, thank you, Lord, for giving me this, oh, now I don't have this. It gets into the consumer, the, the, the Mend out, whereas the overarching point of the Christian life is to form us as children of God in the image of Christ so that we can endure faithfully through things. We talked about this a little bit this morning at morning prayer with the uh, conversion of St. Paul, which is today, because the morning prayer lesson, conversion of St. Paul, of course, is this glorious thing where, you know, he sees Jesus on the road. Uh, but then the morning prayer lesson was um, his thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So the same guy that's off, like, wow, here's I'm, uh, here's Jesus, also was told, I'm not going to answer. The um, great revelation, the message was, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. So there's always a way in which revelation introduces us to the God that then allows us then to walk faithfully because know, we know he's with us. It doesn't deliver us from everything. It, 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 and uh, that's what we'll talk more about in the next psalm, too. So, and then verse 3 says, May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Um, a verse came to mind to me as I read this was uh, Acts 10.4. I don't remember the interaction between Peter and Cornelius the centurion where the... Um, it's revealed to Peter through his interaction with Cornelius that God is going to bring the Gentiles into God's people without making them be circumcised. And it happens because uh, Cornelius gets a vision, Peter gets a vision, and Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he sees the Holy Spirit descend on them, and they speak in tongues, but they're not circumcised. And Peter says, well, hmm. If you get spirit and you're not circumcised, it must not be necessary anymore. But in that, in the context of that um, chapter, when Cornelius is praying, what is essentially his daily office, um, an angel appears to him and says, "Cornelius, your 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 um, your alms and your prayers have been remembered." 
So the idea that the faithfulness in prayer God sees and now is answering. So it's interesting too, it just and the 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 prayers that he would have been praying at at I can't remember he was the noonday office or the afternoon, the one was was noon, but would have been very liturgical prayers for that thing. Mm-hmm. And and they probably would have been prayers for the salvation of the Gentiles, maybe. Mm-hmm. And Cornelius like, oh, you're, so you prayed this thing liturgically, and okay, you've heard now, I'm going to answer your prayer. Mm-hmm. So you, the prayers have a lot more power than we think, mm-hmm. it, especially when we when we you know when we really take them to heart. I think that's one reason that liturgy helps us because it helps us remember what to pray for. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Cornelius was told his. His alms and prayers have been remembered. So here it says, remember your offerings, accept <clears throat> your burnt sacrifice that, that our faith, you know, God does hear prayers. And, and, uh, and I suspect that Cornelius' prayers have been offered for a long time. Apropos of that time thing we yeah. diverted into very briefly. <laughs> well, and, and I often think that, <clears throat> I mean, one, one thing that I've meditated on the last few years, because there's this reality of answered prayer that is um, a lot of times in our culture, we're into the instantaneous so that we we pray for something. And uh, the mir- the miraculous manifestation is that, you know, tomorrow, you know, today you rise and walk or tomorrow this thing happens. But I think there's an equally an equal manifestation of um of the power of God in um, the way that our perseverance in prayer, um, God sees and responds to, and sometimes prayers are answered that um, have been going on for uh, you know five or ten years, and finally, like okay, now now we begin to see oh, and this, yeah. it's no less miraculous, and I think it it, it gets us into is why the things that we are worth praying for, are worth just praying for. Um, I find that healing, you know, we do often read the miracles in the Bible and we think, again, as you said, it's instantaneous, but for most of it, it's over time. Yeah. It's healing over time. It's no Amazon.com. <laughs> well, I tell you, but also, and apropos of that is what we're talking about is that the healing we need is not just our bodies to be better. No. So usually God works through our afflictions right. to heal defects of faith and, <clears throat> and to make us more dependent. It's what he, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. Even, even Paul, who's this, you know, we say the great saint, you know, if you, meet Jesus on the Damascus Road and get caught in the third heaven and see things no one can talk about, you might have a little tendency to think, it's okay, you're going to have a little something. And that goes that, and that we learn through that. So the physical afflictions, you know, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good point. I think your earlier point uh, is well taken about the manifestation of the power of God in our lives is the... Um, way in the body of Christ and as we live out our daily individual life in all its uh, ordinariness um, is the long obedience in the same direction. That is the power of God manifested because that is miraculous really. And a lot of times like like a, 
a parent with a child who wants something, you usually you want to figure out how serious they are about it. Because <laughs> sometimes if you ignore it, it goes away in a week. Okay, good, don't do that. But if, if, if three years later, a child is still asking, you're going to find a way, okay, what do we, and you might, and, and, and it's a good analogy because you think about it like your child wants as well. Child's not ready for what child need to do. Okay, needs to learn stuff. Okay, we'll teach him that. Mm-hmm. But there'll come a time if if you're you know a good parent and it's a good thing ultimately that you would form the child as someone who could handle the thing they wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's what sometimes we pray for. Um, I think about this. One of the things I prayed for early on. We were a small church at um, Community Church in Croner Del Mar with about you know fifteen twenty five on a Sunday with. Mostly an older church. Um, I always prayed for for God to send younger people, not because I didn't like, but you just knew that there was a there was a sunset to where we were doing. Uh, so, um, uh, and you know, I, I prayed for that pretty regularly uh, for for the, these kinds of things. And I think the prayer probably was answered pretty substantially about fifteen years later. And it's not that like. No people, we had always had a, a bit of a range of ages, but in terms of of kind of what happened with connection to Biola and things like that, and it dawned on me, but we weren't really ready to have that kind of influx of, of, of people with those questions when we were there. But, so, okay, you want this? Okay, let's, let's develop, you know, okay, okay, now, now, and, and, and so, and so, it's equally significant. And this is something I think churches ought to take to heart a lot. They oh, we want to, we want to, you know, grow or whatever you want to do. I, I try to tell people like the fact that you want to be bigger is not really mission. <laughs> how do you want? How do you want people <laughs> to be impacted by the gospel through you? But let's say you want that, and then then you. Um, so what needs to change about you, church, to be a place for people that you would like to come would would come and. And and you could you could answer questions they're asking, and you could and a lot of well, you know it usually comes down to a lot of times we just want more people to help us pay the bills so we can keep doing what we're doing, which is oh, not yeah, which yeah. is not which is not uh, yeah. Well, I mean, good coffee is good coffee. You know, we, we joke about that. We do have good coffee that's out there on the yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 not that you're you're getting people to come because you have good coffee versus bad coffee. It's your we're a culture that the coffee is important in. Uh-huh. So you want, if you're trying to set a table to, to you know, like you invite some of your home, you want to you want to have a good time with them. It's not just about, but you don't bring out your crappy stuff and, <laughs> and you, know, you, know, you know you 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 try to set the table that welcomes them and, and puts the best face on who you are. Um, so one more point yeah. on this miracle over time. We live in such an instantaneous mm-hmm. generation. And so for Bishop to say, to pray, and 15 years later, his prayer is answered. So much, you have to have spiritual eyes in there to see the miracle in it. Because we, can, we humans can so, over a period of time, can, can rationalize something that came about that's not of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that having the spiritual eyes with the prayer is important. It's, it's very revealing. Yeah, I've just come to, I've, the last 
month or so came to a conclusion that I might not even be around when my prayers are answered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That might be something after I'm gone. Well, there is this, if, so, if we believe, again, if we believe in, in what we say, when we say we look for the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come, that there there is a way, just the reality of the kingdom of God, that what we really want can't be had here. Right. Um, and, and you get that reality, you learn, you learn that reality by when you get things that are, are, are good and positive, um, you know they're not ultimate. Mm-hmm. This is nice, but okay. Like, okay. I've, and so the, the, the secret, therefore, is to enjoy life sacramentally. Mm-hmm. And when a good thing comes, we give thanks as a sign of the ultimate. But we know this sacramental creating is going to go away. I mean, like we were talking earlier, like we do some house remodeling, like, but in 30 years, it's going to need it again. It's, it might be destroyed. It's, called, it's just a house. It's not a thing. So you, you, can be, you can be grateful for a gift of something, but, but you want to be careful not to mistake the, the gift for the thing, which is the essence of idolatry, mm-hmm. to mistaking the, 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 the creature for the creator. So, so ultimately, and this gets into actually... Um, Next verse, because he says, "May he grant you your hearts according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose." And yeah, I think you know. So that's okay. All your pur- you know, all you know, David, Messiah, and us in the Messiah. All you want the idea that all you deeply desire, God means to to give. And I think we can work this out on the level that that we understand desire on a couple of levels, at least I experience, I won't, I won't include everyone, but if it resonates, great, is that um, I want something. Uh, I want turkey sandwich for lunch, or I want a beer tonight, or I want a, that's a visceral, immediate thing I want, but it's, 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 it's near term. And then what do you, what do you really want? And the, the idea of, um, what do you want in life? And that's a larger question when you ask people. It's a good question as we go into Lent. This is pre, we're getting to pre-Lent next on Sunday, and we start about Lent is, what do you want? I want it. And a lot of times we discover that we don't really know what we want, and that fuels our enduring discontent. <laughs> because we what we think we want is we, we complain that we're unhappy because we don't have certain things. But what happens with a lot of people is they get those certain things, and they're still unhappy. We're still unhappy. If you're discontented, it's, all, it, it's assured that the thing you think will make you discontented won't, won't, it won't make you contented. And a lot of people actually like the, um, it, it's also an attitude, too, I think about the guy by the pool of Bethesda we read about the other day in the reading. You know, uh, do you want to get well? So what do you is it what do you want that you you guys sitting here for three decades by the pool and rather than saying yes he explains to jesus why he can't and that's like if we do that why well what do you want well i can't do that because this one they'll take that from me no i can't do this what do you want and 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 i think this this long-term idea of prayer do you want something what does your heart want and i i think Ultimately, it's it's closeness with God and closeness with others that are in meaningful relationships. And then it's also 
um, a sense of who we are and using gifts we have in meaningful ways so that you have a sense of identity and purpose, these are things. And I, I don't think that ends with death. In fact, they, that somehow if, if we don't think that there's something called the resurrection and a new creation of which this is merely a prelude to, then we're not really getting it. And I think we're going to miss the, the point of, of the whole framework. So what do we want? It's a, good, it's a good question. What do you want? And I think when we get to the deeper sense of desire, we can appreciate why sometimes it's good not to have the temporary or sometimes we're called to forego the temporary or forego a false fulfillment of what we think we want, which isn't really a fulfillment of what we think we want. And th this is this is all of Christian fasting and all of Christian, um, you know, uh, vows of poverty or chastity or whatever are never because um, it's good not to want those things. It's always because it, it's it's seen as as a saying no to some temporal thing in exchange for a greater fulfillment of that very thing. And that's our own derivative sense of fasting and and and, and generosity and and self-control is always the, the no that opens up to the greater yes. Because if we get into just what do I want? I want this, I want this, we're just always governed by our appetite, we end up miserable. So you find if you can think of people in your life in your lives who are really governed by their appetites that are That's the paradox that, that God wants to fulfill the desire, but it has to be in the words of the um, Lenten colic, that, that the flesh being subdued to the spirit. That's what it is. That the, That is the desires of the spirit that govern us. So those visceral desires that are contrary, we, we say, no, let's bring them back in. And, and then when there's a harmony, that can be a true fulfillment. Those spiritual disciplines you speak of, um, I, to me, also seem to help pull the cover off the enemies of our soul because the world, flesh, and devil are always saying, well, this is what you want, yeah. and you can have it. Yeah. And when we say, I do want that, but why do I, what's the want behind the want? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's that. <laughs> oh, yeah. that won't give me that. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the reasons with the disciplines is, is usually the, the uh, experiment we get to do in Lent to discover how strong the desires are. Oh, it's not that stuff. I could do it. Yeah, it's fine. No big deal. Then you stop it for a couple weeks like... <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> Dallas Willard used to call the, the appetite the, the spoiled child. You know, that it, it's like, it's, yes. and, and you're trying to discipline a child. No, not now. A little while. Yeah. You can say no, yeah, so... So the desire is important. What do you, what do you want? It's a good question to think about in the pre-Lent season. Verse um, five, we will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We will militarily um, march. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And the conquest there, too, it does translate over to the enemies of the soul. It's the battle against these things mm -hmm. that, that in the name of Christ we fight against. And we have 
conquest. And it's really important to think about, when we talk about victory over world, flesh, and devil, that these are progressive and incremental. It's really important to understand that when we fall or, or aren't as strong as we would like to be in a certain situation, it's not failure. That at, that's why we practice disciplines for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of realized, like when I first came back to faith in my 20s and I was told I should do all these things, so I started doing them and didn't think I got a whole lot better really quickly. Mm-hmm. But a decade later, it's like, I, yeah, the, the, my relationship to some of these things is different than it was. Mm-hmm. Something is progressively formed in me. Um, I know some people, me included, will have a failure, and rather than that, and realizing that's the process of having failed, will go, I obviously can't, I have no power over this, so I, I it, it, it always is, you know, I just, I, I have to give in to it because I can't do anything about it. Flesh speaking, <laughs> one, one of the three, you know. Yeah, and there's a lie embedded in the in the battle. You know, well, if you don't have that, you'll you'll fall apart. You'd be terrible. You know, everything. It's like, turns out, you no, know, you'd be just fine. <laughs> I got that this morning. I was like, nope. I came in here naked. I will leave here with nothing. Like, don't talk to me that way. <laughs> Get behind me. <laughs> So the, the the mood shifts in verse six uh, to a sort of, and you see this often in the in Psalms that the mood shifts from from petition to assumption of answer, even though it doesn't have a neat. Okay, now we we won. Now we're having fifty more. So it, it says in verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. How does He know that? It seems like an assurance of faith. An evidence of things not seen somehow, but the confidence. But it, it's, there's no, um, there's nothing in the narrative of the psalm that suggests the battle is actually over. Mm-hmm. And verse seven is interesting because it says um, some trust in chariots, but the word trust is actually not there. It, it just some in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So the emphasis on on the on the the action towards God, but the idea clearly is that is that some people will trust in their might mm-hmm. and um, in military might. This, of course, was the constant complaint, or a constant complaint of the prophets against Israel, that they thought they'd be better off. They made a military alliance with Egypt or this, and if we had enough horses, we'd be safe. And God wanted him them to trust in him. And we see throughout the Bible all of the really profound battles are against odds when people decide to trust in God rather than just count the thing beginning to say with David and, and Goliath. But but there's there's and, and mostly it's David who does it because he just has attitude. What do you mean? Let's just yeah. What do you mean? Who's God's with us? Let's just go fight. Um, <laughs> So for us, it's 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 not trusting in resources and things to make us secure and happy, but trusting in God to make us secure and happy. And 
you know, there's always a balance with that in our culture because we have so much. You know, you can insure things, you can save, you can make provision, you can, <clears throat> and then we have this sort of, um, it becomes a safety fetish. Oh, you're dangerous. It's like, all of a sudden, also now you're afraid of everything. You're more protected than you ever were. Now you're afraid to walk out the door. It's like, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, we could drive our bikes miles away all day and have a cell phone. I'll see you tonight, Mom. And I was like, oh, where'd you go? Like, I was say, this is the safest city. In, well, I live in Nirvana. It was like the safest city in the country for a while. It's like, yeah. I, it's not like there's no risk, mm -hmm. but it, but the whole idea that we're always just oh no, you know, and and you know, COVID exacerbated. Oh, oh no, we're, we're, we're all afraid. We're just afraid all the time, mm -hmm. and and we have to be careful of that. Trusting God, we you know, I mean, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do reasonable things to protect. But it's a balance that we okay. But ultimately, trust that that God is with us. And if something happens, then God will be with us. And what happens? Exactly. Yeah, sometimes you have to go to worst case scenario. Yeah. And so you, you seem like you have two extremes there. One would be the the overprotectiveness that's afraid to go out the door for fear that there might be a you know a mosquito or something. And then and then the the person who doesn't do reasonable things yeah. because um you know, I'm just gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust God. I'm not going to <laughs> so the, there's it, it, there's a balance in Let's that. Test that guardian. Yeah. As as uh, Jesus said to the evil one, "Thou shalt not test test the Lord thy God." Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they have they have bowed down and fall if we have risen and stand upright. So that that victory pose is sort of. As Jesus in the and sort of the resurrection, Jesus standing and um, his enemies fallen, and then again this last verse, it, you know, could be uh, Lord save the king. May the king answer when he call, or <clears throat> the New King James translators, or save the king. Uh, but it sort of makes more sense to say um, Lord save the king because it's all long been hear him. And then, but answer us when we call gives us that sense of being in, you know, being governed by the king. So hear our petitions through him. All right. Let's shift ourselves over to Psalm 121. Sorry for those of you who thought we were going 21. But someday we'll do that. Now, this psalm's interesting, and uh, both these psalms are, are, are taken uh, from this coming Sunday, uh, the themes of, at the morning office, and because Septuagesima takes on a more sort of um, militant fighting motif, the epistle is St. Paul and the... Uh, uh, I, f I fight as one who doesn't beat the air. I, I discipline my body. And then there's laborers in the vineyard. Uh, we usually sing, come labor on. So, the, so these songs kind of fit into that, that uh, theme of striving. Because the, 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 in the church year, um, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany all are seasons that focus on the Incarnation. Advent anticipates that Christmas celebrates it, and Epiphany reflects on it, its revelation. 
But when you get to Septuagesimus, the pre-Lenten season for us begins to look towards Lent and Easter. So now we're not looking backward to the Incarnation. We start looking forward to the march towards Easter through the cross. And that's why the, the, the themes of, you know, battle and things become a little bit more prominent. Now this song, it's, it's uh, the subtitle is the Song of the Sense. Some people think there are these psalms that may, maybe pilgrims prayed when they uh, went to the temple to pray. Um, but we just, but it, it, it comes out sort of as a psalm just of, of, um, of personal petition with a lot of implications to it. Um, so we should read through it. Uh, and then I'll read, let me read it all the way through and then we'll go back and talk about some verses. I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out, your coming in from this time forth forevermore. So the idea that I will lift up my eyes to the hills, um, and then the, the question once comes to my help, you you um, it could be, it, it 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 ends up being kind of a dialogue. A question is asked: Where does my help come from? And then this answer. You know, my help comes from the Lord, so it, it, it could be something liturgical like that. Um, but the idea of, I, I looked at my eyes to the hills, but, and then we can think biblically of various uh, mountains upon which God manifested himself. For example, which ones? Yeah. Moriah. Zion's. Yeah. Uh, Mount Zion in Israel, I'd say probably going back to Sinai, where the where the where God revealed Himself principally to, and, and then we have um, Tabor, huh? Mount Tabor, Twelve Brook Man of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus, uh, we're told in, the, in Matthew's Gospel, went to a mountain to give the Beatitudes. Um, he actually came. I, I thought about this sort of this sort of where the help comes from that he marches in Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. Yes, Where's the help Mount come from? Here he's yeah. coming. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Calvary is the same thing as a hill sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the hill. We lift out the hills, so it's God's manifestation in the hills, not we're wondering where help comes from, and we, we know God will, will come to help us. I was thinking of the um, Asherahs and the um, things that were... Uh, you know, in, antipathetic to God and this uh, person praising him was saying, um, I look to the mountains, but where does my help come from? It comes from God, not the false idols up there. But yeah, that may not have been there. Well, that, 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 could cer- that, that could certainly work. I mean, because the question is, where does my help come from? It's, it's open question. Yeah, not... Or, or, or it could be not these mountains, but Mount Zion, which was, which was, you know, somehow, you know, the the idea of, of God living in the mountain or 
we're doing stuff in the mountain. So there, there are, yeah, it's a good point though, Susan, that, that, that we look to the hills and there, there are hills that have false manifestations on them. Um, in verse two, actually it's interesting. Now I know that the new King James has my help comes from the Lord, but it, the word, the verb come is not there. So it's an implied verb to be. My help is from the Lord. My help from the Lord who made heaven and earth, um, including the mountains. Yeah. So the mountains can be a sign of the Lord's help because they remind us of a a, a tower uh, that you know of something strong and big that Lord the Lord makes. Um, uh, for example, I think of the psalm, as the hills stand about Jerusalem, even so the Lord stands around his people. Mm-hmm. So you have that kind of idea. There's a lot of mountain imagery that can be brought mm-hmm. into play. Very comforting. And and the ark, the ark also landed on the mountains of Ararat, and God gave them the rainbow and the dove and all that. Mm-hmm. that. And also it's, it's military strength. The, you know, they would build their fortresses up on a mountain because that gave them an advantage. So... There, there is strength there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So verse 3, He will not allow your foot to be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Mm-hmm. Now I want to make a note here that um, I'm not quite sure why, why the, the New King James and other traditions might do this, but this word keeps, it appears six times, and it's always the same word, even though... Uh, is translated as, as preserve in verse 7 twice, <clears throat> but it's the same word that, that deals with uh, keep, preserve, uh, you know, has to have watch, keeping watch, guarding, keeping, preserve. And I think it would be the Lord bless you and keep you kind of thing. So the idea is um, <clears throat> he who guards you, he who keeps watch will not, will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So therefore, if you're anxious and tired, take a nap, because God's keeping watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's also that um, the tradition in, in the church of, <clears throat> excuse me, a Compline prayer, which is usually near near to bedtime, where we, we uh, ask God to defend us from all, you know, it reminds us of his protection, but directs our, our, our thoughts towards that. The compound prayer, I remember, is, this would beseech you this habitation and drive far from it all the snares of the enemy. Let thy holy angels abide in it to keep us in peace, and let thy blessing ever be upon us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it concludes compound. We're saying that on Tuesday night. Yeah, okay. This is really great. So, and the idea of slumber, sleep, you know, if, if you're a watchman, a guardian, it's hard to stay awake all night. <clears throat> so sometimes they nod off. <laughs> I think when, when yeah. has was deal the, the water oh, job, right. and then he, yeah, so. Yeah. 
And the disciples in the garden. Yeah, yeah. I still think it's, you know, they didn't, they, what, what their fault was, they didn't really know what the hour was, but they had a pretty good helping of wine late yeah. at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, four mm-hmm. cups of Passover wine, and you go to the garden, sing a hymn, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> heavy meal. Yeah, <laughs> some lamb, some wine. <laughs> The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun should not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And that shade, um, you know, we're, we're, we have various means of protection, even though we, we live much of the year in a fairly warm climate. But in the ancient desert of the Near East, the affliction of sun is real. You, you So... So the you're always having to to be protected from this uh, the 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 sun needs some shade to protect you and the moon by night um, you know, we think of the moon as being afflicting although the idea of um, lunacy comes from the word lunar mm-hmm. so you 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 know that the, there are uh, um, and we we would think here of of um, the way that the Lord keeps us by day and by night, uh, the terror, you know, best of all terrors of this night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. It really keeps you. All This is the same word. So in verse four, behold, you keeps Israel. Verse five, the Lord is your keeper. Um, and verse seven really should say, the Lord shall keep you from all evil. You shall keep your soul. It's just a repetition of the same words throughout, which is interesting. And it, it, it highlights the, the importance of the word because in the parallel structure of the verses, he uses the same word and doesn't nuance it with the second word. So the idea of watch, keep, protect, guard, all, all highlighted in this one word. <clears throat> and the, um, verse 8, which says, Lord, if you were going out, you're coming in from this time forth forevermore. When you connect that with, um, Verse six, excuse me. Um, you have uh, this this sort of totality, day, night, going out, coming in. So whatever you're doing, he's always with you at all times. Um, this is my fa- one of my favorite songs. I think it's very reassuring. Yeah, it really it, is. It makes you feel safe. Some some of the um, the the uh, verses that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this were the uh, uh, Matthew twenty ten twenty nine Jesus says that that you know are not so many sparrows sold for coins yeah. but not one dies apart from your father mm-hmm. and then um, in Luke he says uh, even the hairs of your head are numbered mm-hmm. amazing. So it's 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 a realization of, of a presence that, um, and then, you know, 
verses like Romans 8, 28, where God works in all things for good, that there's nothing outside of his sovereignty. Um, so a question that can come up is, is to sort of, so what does this protection look like? <laughs> it's the protection of our soul. Protection of our souls. I mean, so it doesn't, it doesn't mean that... Um, that was a question I was going to ask, yeah. So, yeah, okay, it's good at all times, so, but it doesn't mean we'll never, you know, suffer any temporal misfortune. I, I have, would add, though, that I have had times where I would have been killed. Oh, yeah. Had God not intervened and made something else happen. So I, I think it, it, it's really both. Well, it is, and, and, and we just have, I think, with... Um, with there's a nuance here, and me illustrated thusly, Clifford, you know, that um, so I'm driving, and then I can say, oh, something, you know, miraculously kept me from this thing that was going to hit me, but then, you know, somewhere else, someone who probably believed Certainly in Jesus got hit. Got hit. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's the problem with that as a blanket, you know, you saved me. It's like, well, okay, well, too bad for you. Uh, so, so the, 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 the um, it's either or. <laughs> yeah, that, that the idea of the protection must somehow loom larger than the mere sense that nothing bad will ever happen. It's, we just have to this and a person, a personal, you know, uh, Sovereignty to this that God will yes, he will give you small graces. It doesn't mean that that's he's always going to do it the exact same way It does mean he's never nothing happens apart from him being present with you Maybe that other guy was he was already salvageable I need, you, you need I a little need you need a little bit more time to work it out <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I sometimes I just feel like his angels are guarding me just right around me absolutely well we think that 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 is clearly true the idea of, of a guardian angel of course part of the tradition uh in, in heaven there they are angels always behold the face of our father um but were the angels with jesus on good friday yes did he die a brutal death on the cross yes so this is the thing we have to be be um, be aware of that it is with us through the valley of the shadow of death through which we'll emerge and God's will whenever so a lot of times when things happen that are disconcerting or uh, even traumatic we take some time for us to okay how what was that about and that's a contemplative thing to say what's going on here and figuring out what God is doing through this thing. And those are the eyes of faith that doesn't pretend that this doesn't hurt a lot or I'm not sad, but but trust that God is in all of that. And we may not ever know why. Yeah, until, you know, and I think the why is always a bad thing to look for, in my opinion, because it's a logic that will get you tied up in knots. Why did God... Well, God caught you getting a car accident because he wanted, so he decided to dial up a car wreck for you today. <laughs> Instead of the idea that, that there's a, that, that, that we're in a world where God is sovereign, there's free will and things happen, 
but that's that's really the the mystery of interplay between God's sovereignty and human free will. And and the point simply is that God's sovereignty doesn't cancel it out, <clears throat> doesn't stop Judas from betraying our Lord, doesn't stop bad things from happening to us, but never but God never yields his sovereignty over those things to to bring his will out of them. So it's just it's just <clears throat> this is why we have there's a paradox to it. And if we try to resolve the paradox, we'll become simplistic in a way that can't really hold the reality of life. Um, so we don't know. Yeah, and and, and it, it is God is always with us, protecting all of His people, but He's protecting some through very difficult things they're having to go through, and He's protecting some from. Um, I suppose the one thing we remember in this is that the real protection is the guarding of our faith and our connection to God so that nothing we go through takes that away. And biblically, the the challenges of affliction are often seen as less dangerous than, than say, the challenges of wealth and comfort, which can equally... So, rich, parable, rich man Lazarus, who who was preserved through? Um, well, Lazarus was. He didn't look like he was being preserved too well. So, in the affliction, we hold on to him, and in the prosperity, we fall away from him. So, some that's it's kind of we started with in the other psalm, where Saint Paul's thorn in the flesh, as an example, was something that kept him. Dependent on the grace of God, and that's that's really what ultimately keeps us safe, trusting in, in that. Okay. Anything else? About that. All right. We'll wrap it up right there. Let's pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make His face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. With you all, could be with you. Constance, Jim, Phyllis, Elizabeth, Katie, Robert, and Cheryl. Nancy and Cheryl. Hi, Katie. Okay.